Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 4, 14 to 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me, quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Whitney. So I'm going to pray for us. It's interesting to preach on a passage where Jesus preaches and the people want to kill him. And so that should tell us that there's something in here that we're not going to want to hear. That's really important for us to hear, myself included. So I'm going to pray that the Lord would be faithful and kind to give us what we need. Father, we come into your presence this morning and we are... uh, very needy, whether we know it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we have the, the courage and the humility to, to come and look ourselves in the mirror as we see you and, and as you see us. And so, Lord, no matter what brought us here this morning, we know that you have a plan and you have us here for your purposes, which are always good. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and you would keep your promises, that you promise that your word will never return that it always fulfills its purposes for which you sent it, and that you are, you are working out your salvation for your people always, and you will always complete what you started. And so we, we submit ourselves to you this morning as best we can, and we ask that you would supernaturally help us to do that, to just bow our knees and, and say, here we are, please, please do with us what you need to do, and we trust that you'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna let you guys into a little bit of my life. I'm gonna ask this question before I do that. How many of y'all want to be mature people? How many of y'all want to be fully mature and 
living a, a good and beautiful life the way that you see Jesus living his life? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you are raising your hands. Good. I'm glad. But, I mean, I think we would all say that on some level. Or, or even a more specific question, how many of y'all want to be really good at your job, really effective at your job? And again, I mean, I think, I think most people would say, yeah. I mean, this is something I give my time to, I give myself to. This is important to me. Some of y'all might even believe that that's a calling, that the Lord's given you gifts and abilities, and he's put you in this place to use those for important reasons. You have purpose for his glory and for your good and all of that stuff. And so we can all get on board with that. But then we start, that's the what, but we start talking about the how, and that's when we start to take some steps backwards and say, actually, I don't know how badly I want that. And, and so a little window of that in, uh, from my life is part of my calling as a pastor is to preach, okay? So I want to be an effective preacher, and that's great. Of course I do. And then you start to figure out what that involves, and for me, it involves uh, a man named Joel Walker, who, if you know Joel, um, he's, he's on staff here at Midtown. He's my supervisor. And one of his roles is to coach me and equip me and help me to grow these gifts that God's given me to become a more effective preacher of the gospel. And guys, it's a painful process. There have been, we have to go and we, we watch game film. We listen to my sermons together and I get critique in real time line by line, and it's painful. And sometimes when we start the week, it starts like this. Hey, man, how'd you feel about Sunday? I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> I felt pretty good. He's like, well, I'm not going to lie. Not good. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm telling you this story, and, and, and here's where I go with that. I'm going to be real honest. There's times where I hear that and I think, oh, Yeah. Well, some of yours aren't good, so how do you like that? And we could do this with your sermons, Joel, and I'm going to go sit in your chair, and you go sit in this chair. I don't really say that. Uh, and then there's times where I have all these excuses. Well, 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 and I may not share them, but in my heart I have them, because it's really more about protecting my reputation with myself than it is with him. And so I may not, if, if they're good enough, if I think they're valid enough, I might share them out loud so that Joel will feel better about me. But all of them I share with myself. And so as we're talking, it's like, well, yeah, of course, because I was, I was feeling bad this week. And, you know, I had all this stuff crop up and I couldn't do the things that I, I thought I was going to be able to do. And then this happened. And so, yeah, of course, the, this wasn't my best week. But there's always a good reason for it. It's never that it just wasn't that good. It's never that I actually need to change or that I actually need to grow or that there's, there's something that needs to happen here. And so as we start this new series, it's called Meeting with Jesus. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're not going through every verse, but we're going to highlight these encounters with Jesus that people have. We're going to highlight um, some of the parables so that he's explaining what he's here to do. And we're really looking at his mission. And we're going to, you know, the passage we're talking about his mission and, and everybody's on board with the what. Yes, please come do all those things. But when we start talking about the how is when we start to, to back up a little bit. The what we're going to really love. The how, we're not going to be so excited about that. But if, if, 
if we'll just hang in there, God is saying, you are not excited about the how because you're actually blind and imprisoned and impoverished. And you can't see it now. But I'm actually coming to save you from those things. I'm coming to pull you out of poverty. I'm coming to pull you out of, heal your, heal your sight, restore your sight, pull you out of prison. So it's actually, your dreams aren't good enough. I'm coming with even more beautiful and deeper dreams for you. And so if you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will continue to meet with me, this road is going somewhere good. And so in our passage today, this is a, a great passage to start with because he, he proclaims his mission, but also because of the response we see from the people. It starts off great. We're really excited to hear what Jesus has to say. And then as soon as he starts talking about the how, then things change real quick. And people are ready to throw him off a cliff and kill him. So we're, we're going to look at three things today. The first is what I'm calling, I had a really nice time, but I'm not looking for anything serious right now. That's the first point. That's probably the longest name of a point ever. The second is the detective's reveal. And then the, the third thing we're going to look at is what I'm going to call put down the gun. So first, I had a really nice time, but I'm just not looking for anything serious right now. You guys have heard that before, probably. And, and what, what I'm getting in my mind here for this is you're on a date, and it's going great, and you're reading all the signals, and she's really excited, and, and it's, it's just all going up and up and up and up, and then as you're dropping her off, you're like, I'd really like to do this again, and she's like, yeah, this was really fun, but I'm just not looking for anything serious. I don't think we need to see each other again. And you're like, what? What was all that hand-holding while we watched the sunset? You even leaned in and gave me a kiss. Like, now you're saying this. What's the deal? And, like, that's, that's what's going on here is Jesus is going around, and he started teaching in these towns, and everybody's hearing about his teaching, and they're so excited about his teaching. Like, man, you should hear what this guy's talking about. You should hear what he's, what he's saying. It's amazing. It's so interesting. It's so unique. It's so full of blessing. And so the word's getting out, and Jesus comes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he is invited to teach in the synagogue there. And so just real quick on how that works. The synagogue, similar in some ways to the local church, in that uh, in a town this size, there probably wouldn't be a full-time rabbi. So what there, what there is is there's a synagogue manager who basically is in charge of setting up the chairs and keeping everything organized and also scheduling people, like traveling rabbis, to come in and teach that Sunday. So they would get whoever was teaching, plus maybe a couple other adult men in the congregation to read. Uh, if you're familiar with like the Catholic Church or Episcopal Church, this um, sort of higher church where they follow a lectionary and there's a, a assigned readings every week, it was like that. And so they would open these big scrolls that had all the Old Testament, and they would do these selected readings and then they, they would stand to read, and then they would roll the scroll back up and give it back. And then whoever was teaching would sit down to teach. And they would stand to read because that's the word of God and sit down because they would, their words were not on par with the word of God. So they're like, oh, you know, it's sort of like how Hamilton came to town here. Anybody get to see that? It really was amazing. Um, 
So everybody's hearing, like, oh, this amazing show's coming to town. Like, oh, you got to get tickets. Yeah, because we found out Jesus is coming home. And so the synagogue manager's like, I'm going to cash in on this and get him to come be our guest preacher that day. And so everybody's there. They're all excited. And Jesus stands up, and he's given the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens the scroll. And the way that, the way that Luke tells it, Jesus doesn't read the passage that's next in line. He goes and finds a particular passage to read, which is what we have here. This is from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, He comes with this beautiful message. And then he rolls a scroll up, hands it, sits down, and everyone, it says everyone's eyes were fixed. Everybody was so engaged. They were so ready to hear what he had to say. And he began to preach, and he started his sermon with these words, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Like, I am the one that is saying these words. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. I am the anointed one. I'm the one that has been foretold for years and years and years who's gonna come and put everything right. And there's so much there that we can unpack, but we do not have time to do that today. But Jesus, that's not all that he says. This is just the beginning. That's how he starts his sermon. And he continues, and so we don't know exactly what he continues as he unpacks this, But the people are really excited, still. You know, they're like, this, yeah, everybody was right. Hamilton's amazing. I'm loving it. It's great. And and as they're listening, there's a change. Something happens. In verse 22, it it can be kind of confusing and easy to miss here. But imagine we inserted the word then after that second and. So it reads like this. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Like, it's okay that you... Tell us that you are the anointed one who's bringing all this blessing. Like, we're still on board with you. But then it says, and then they said, is not this Joseph's son? Like, and then, wait a second. Aren't you just the kid that grew up down the street? Like, aren't you the one who I used to change your diapers? Or aren't you the one that I used to teach? Or aren't you the, like, guy that I used to play on the playground with? Like, something something started to change. They were really excited to hear what it was going to be like. And then as he started preaching, they were still really excited to hear what it was. And then as he continued to preach and unpack what he was saying, there was this distance. And it's like if everybody's engaged lights were on, all the little lights started to go off all throughout the synagogue. People were starting to pull back. So, So that's the question for us. What is it? about what Jesus was teaching that made, made them start to pull back. Oh, man, we really love this. Uh, actually, I don't know about this anymore. What do you think that was? I think what happened was Jesus started to unpack what this means that we're, not, we're going a lot deeper than what you think. I'm not just talking about physical healings. I'm not just talking about economic poverty. 
I'm not talking about freedom from unjust power structures. I am talking about all those things because when I come in my kingdom and put everything right, all of that's going to be taken care of. But what I'm actually talking about is much deeper than that. I'm talking about your spiritual poverty. I'm talking about your spiritual blindness. I'm talking about your spiritual oppression. And, and here's what this is going to require. You know, I don't know where you are politically, and I really don't care. But here's, here's something that you're, you might not like me saying. Um, whatever you think about Donald Trump and whatever you think about Bernie Sanders, both of those men are populists. What does that mean? It means when they get up to give a speech, a campaign speech, you're going to hear a lot of, hey, the problem is all out there, and you should be validated in everything you think and feel and believe. And if you elect me, I'm going to make all your problems out there go away, and I'm going to fulfill all your wildest dreams, and you get to stay the same because you're not the problem. And that's what these people wanted to hear. They wanted the year of the Lord's blessing. They wanted all of this crud to be put right. But don't start telling me that I'm the one with the problem. Don't start telling me that you got to get in here and change anything in me. I, I, I don't know about that. And what happens is they're still very polite. They still just sort of politely back up. And you know what? Jesus loves them too much to allow them to stay in this place where they're just kind of politely indifferent. Because that's not reality. They're hiding something from themselves. And when you and I do that, we're hiding something from ourselves. Something that we are desperate to remain hidden from, from our own view. And so, here they are. They are known by God. They are exposed by God. And they are accountable to him. And that is not a fun place to be because they are full of fear and so they start to pull back. And that gets us to our second point, the detectives reveal. Jesus does them a great service here by going in and pulling off the Band-Aids. How many of y'all watch Broad Church? Anybody watch Broad Church? Okay, Lee and I just finished the, the third season last night and this is so fresh because I, I just saw it happen. When I say the detectives reveal, I mean that point where, you know, they've been collecting all the evidence and then they've got the person, the suspect right in front of them and they say, it's, it's where they let all of it out. They, they share all the pieces of the puzzle and then they put it together right in front of the suspect and they say, yeah, we've caught you because your fingerprints were here and your alibi didn't match up and we talked to this person and, and on and on and on and boom, you're the one. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to let you pull back. I'm actually going to draw you in even more. Let's, let's talk about that indifference that you're feeling. And I'm going to tell you what it is. And he starts in verse 23 by saying, here's what's about to happen. And here's what's already happening in your heart. You're going to get to a place where you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. That was like this saying, which means, hey, doctor, while you're going around and healing everybody else, why don't you heal yourself too? Meaning like... You're not so great. You have problems just like we do. Because they're wanting to get Jesus on this level where they can hear the blessing, but they don't have to hear the authority. 
And he's going to say, yeah, and then you're going to want me to do things for you to prove that I am who I say I am. If you're the Messiah, if you're the anointed one, then why don't you prove it to us? Why don't you do some amazing things like you did over in Capernaum, which, by the way, were amazing. He brought somebody back from the dead. He healed people who were physically sick and handicapped. He turned a a ton of stone jars of water into good wine. So they're hearing these reports, and they say, hey, I'll be the judge of whether you're God. You'll prove it to me. And do you see the problem already? How can Jesus be God if I'm the one who's in charge and I'm the one who has the authority and I'm the one who gets to decide? And what they're essentially saying is, you prove to me by blessing me until I'm so full of blessing that I wave it off and say, okay, that's enough. Like you've blessed me enough to where I know that you're God. But think about that. Then then where does that relationship, where can that relationship go at that point? Like, we're, we're going down the wrong road. We can't get there from here. And if, if we're obligating God to prove himself to us, and we're sitting in that judgment seat, and we are obligating him to bless us on our own terms to our heart's desires, guess what? There's never going to be enough blessing. That day won't ever come. Because we just always want to sit in the pilot's chair. And think about it. You already know this from your own life. What do I mean by that? Think about those times that you've prayed, Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise I will never do this again. I promise I'll change, blah, 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 blah. And that lasts for about two weeks or maybe 48 hours. Or, you know, going in the other direction, like, Lord, please, if you just, if you just make this happen for me, then all of the blessing that I get from this, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the glory. I'll follow you. I'll get serious about my relationship with you, blah, blah, blah. And then that lasts for about a week, right? Because guess what? You are doing the one thing that is keeping you from life. It is you are staying on the throne. You cannot stay on the throne. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell these people. Like, listen, you, you are in a bad place. And it gets even worse. You, you know, when you read this passage, you can be like, why, why do these people want to push him off a cliff? Like, I get that they... You know, why can't you just stand up and leave the synagogue and leave it at that? Why, do you, why are you so full of rage that you want to push them off the cliff? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit more, um, starting in verse 24, and, and we'll see if we can get there. Jesus is like, okay, I got to do this. I got to pull the Band-Aid off because it's for your own good. He says, you know, when he says a prophet is not without honor in his hometown, um, or how does he say it here? Doubtless, or uh, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What he's saying is, hey, all throughout history, anytime God has sent his messengers to his people with words for them, they want to kill him. So you're just like those people. Like all the people you read about and say, I can't believe God's people wanted to kill the prophets that he sent. You're them. And, and let's go a step further. Then he starts talking about these two different occasions in Israel's past. First he says, um, I'll tell you the truth. In the days of Elijah the prophet, there was this big three and a half year famine. And there were starving widows that were on death's doorstep throughout all of Israel. 
And God didn't send Elijah to any of those widows. He sent him to a widow that was a foreigner to save her. In the days of Elisha, another prophet, there were lepers who were dying all throughout Israel. And God didn't send Elisha to any of those dying lepers except for an enemy, an enemy military general who had leprosy. God sent Elisha to heal him of his leprosy. So essentially what he's saying to these people is, you're as pitiful as a foreign widow rubbing sticks together about to die. Like when you walk in here in your nice clothes and you think you know something, um, and you're proud, and you're like, hey, arms crossed, prove it. I'm actually telling you that that's not who you really are. That's not where you really are. That's a disguise that you put on to try to hide your real situation from yourself, but where you really are is you are as pitiful as this foreign widow that is rubbing sticks together at death's doorstep. And also, you're as evil and disgusting as this enemy military general who is dying of leprosy. Do you like this sermon so far? (laughs) And then he takes it a step further and says, but they're actually in a better place than you are. As bad as that is, they're actually in a healthier place than you are because they were under no false notion that God owed them anything. They didn't demand that God come and heal them because they didn't even know God. They wouldn't think that they deserved anything from God. And because of that, they were actually in a position to be able to receive grace. And you're not in that position because you think that God owes you something. You believe that you've merited something from him and that you can sit in judgment over whether he is doing a good job of being God or not. So now, at the end of of all of this, there's this decision point. Like, you've been exposed. You've been laid bare before God and the rest of the world. It's not good news. Your evaluation of your own self My evaluation of my own sermon is not an accurate one. It's actually not good. And you have two choices, basically, when you're sitting in that place. Because the truth is the truth. You can't change that. All you can do is you can live in the truth and just come before the Lord and beg for mercy Say, Lord, this is true of me. I've been trying so hard to hide this from myself and from everybody else. Please have mercy on me. Or you can go in the other direction and rage against the truth. How dare you? Who do you think you are? There's defensiveness and pushback and rage and wrath and a a very self-centered, warped sense of justice. And so that gets us to our third point, which is is this decision point. I'm calling this point put down the gun because it's that moment 
following a lot of those moments in, in movies and TV depictions of, of a detective solving a crime, you know, when they reveal to this suspect, hey, we know you're the one, and, and I've just explained all of the evidence and all of this case, so there's no place for you to hide, there's no excuse left for you to try to hang on to, you are guilty and you're exposed. What happens a lot of times is the suspect panics and they pull out their gun and they're standing there with a trembling hand trying to figure out what to do. Do I shoot the detective and try to run away? Or do I give myself up? What do I do? And that's this decision we're talking about. And so here, the response that's prompted is, um, they go rage. We're gonna get rid of this guy. And so they go to push him off a cliff. And I wanna stop here and ask us to, to think about this. These were nice, respectable, church-going people. And look at the rage and the wrath that is just bubbling just beneath the surface. Like, we're here in our nice, respectable clothes and our nice, respectable conversations, and by the end of this sermon, we're trying to murder a man and push him off a cliff. <laughs> So that, that's something that we don't want to hear, but is true of us too, is that that same rage and wrath is just bubbling underneath the surface in our lives. And we do a lot of internal gymnastics to make ourselves believe that that's not the case, and we would never do something like that. But Jesus is asking us, hey, if you want me to bring the healing that, that I'm telling you I'm here to bring, that's my mission, You've got to let me do my work. You've got to live in reality with me. And that's really what the Christian life is, is this moment of we're still holding the gun with a shaking hand, and Jesus is, is coming and trying to tell us, it's okay, you can put the gun down. Because we're exposed, and every other time in our life where we've been exposed, it hasn't been okay. That means that love is gonna stop coming. That means that I'm gonna lose my job. It means some kind of loss for me. That my reputation is shot, that everything is shot. And Jesus is coming with this good news to say this is not like all those other times. My love for you is not dependent on your behavior or your response to me. So you can put the gun down because I actually came here to save you I'm not surprised by any of this. I'm not surprised by the rage and the wrath that has bubbled over. Like, I came to deal with that. That's why I'm not here. Think, think about it like this. Our, our dreams are not big enough. We are, we've spent too long as prisoners of war. We are in these POW camps where our whole perception of reality and what's possible and hopes and dreams has just been dashed and gutted and warped. And so now we live in this world of these little dreams. I'm not even calling them dreams, little excuses for dreams. We're like, please just let my captors not beat me as hard as they did yesterday. Please let the food that they give me today not be rancid and spoiled so that I can have enough nourishment to make it to the next day. Those are the kind of dreams that we dream when we say, oh, like, please let me get that raise. Like, everything depends on that. Please let me get this promotion. Please let this person approve of me. Please let this person want to go on a second date with me. 
Just these, these are our, our little hopes and dreams. And Jesus is saying, yeah, those dreams are terrible. Like, they're not worth dreaming. Because in these dreams, you're still an orphan. You're still a prisoner. You're still blind. Let's, let's dream a little bigger. Let's aim a little higher. How about, like, let's get out of this prison camp. And let's go get cleaned up. And let's go get back to living life. Let's get out of this prison of always needing everyone to approve of me, of always having to work so hard at hiding my sin from myself and pretending that I have my own personal righteousness that I can stand on. Because as much as you and I don't want to admit it, our intentions are not as honorable as we'd like to say they are. Those times where I am confronted and and have to see my sin and my selfishness and how ugly it is, they're not as few and far between. They're not as explainable as I would like to think that they are. They're constant. It's bad. Like, that's reality. And Jesus is saying, that's why this is such good news and so hard to believe is that that stuff is not deterring me from loving you. I don't love you because you made me feel good. I love you because I've chosen to love you with my perfect, never-ending, committed love. And that love is going to be there forever, no matter what you do. That's why Jesus loves these people. That's why he didn't preach what they wanted to hear. He cares too much. He doesn't need their approval. He's there to save them. They don't need to have their ears tickled. They don't need to have their their intellects tickled with some new message or some new repackaging. They need a savior. And in order to save them, he's got to offend them first because they've got to live in reality. Like you, you are not okay. And we know that. We just don't, we just don't like to admit it. I mean, think about it. Think about the three things that he, he shares with us. Um, he addresses poverty and being in prison and being blind. We know that those things are true about us because look at how hard we fight against it. We know that we're spiritually poor. That's, that's why we care so much about money, why we care so much about getting wealthy. Our lives reveal this. Like, we know that we're spiritually imprisoned because look at how desperately we cling to freedom in every single area of our lives. Like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. I'm free. Oh, are you? No, but I wanna be. We know that we're blind because look at how hard we're working to see. I I wanna know everything. I wanna be able to see and explain everything. I don't ever want to get caught out. Oh, I know. Oh, do you? No, but I want to. Like there's something in me that's desperate for these things. And Jesus is saying, if, if you will just put down the gun, I am the only one who can deliver on this for you. Because you actually already have deeper dreams than the ones that you're choosing to dream every day. They're just so painful that you're, you don't let yourself dream them. Because that hope is so scary. I can't even imagine hoping that there's a God of the universe who knows me as intimately as 
as he does and still loves me and still would send his son to die in my place so that I could be reconciled to him and have life. And so that's the Christian life is I keep pulling the gun back out and Jesus keeps putting it down. And then over time, this happens enough where the gun doesn't come out as fast and I'm, I'm quicker to admit that this is true. But man, it's a journey because there's been a lot of damage done. There's a lot that he has to undo. There's a lot that he has to work out in our lives. And so it is a lifelong journey. So the question for us is, when Jesus confronts you, and he'll, he'll do it through other people, when Jesus confronts you with your own sin, with your own spiritual poverty, your own spiritual blindness, your own spiritual imprisonment, what are you going to do with the rage that you feel? That is a minute-by-minute, day-by-day choice that we have to make. That is not a one-time issue. That is something I deal with every day. And he's explaining here, you, you only have two choices. You can lay it all down and just say, Lord, please help me. Like, this is true. I really need you. Will you please help me believe that you're not here to kill me, you're actually here to save me? That you're not exposing this in me because you're, you're gonna show this evil ugliness to the world and then have me stoned to death, but that you actually came to expose this in me to bring life and bring healing? And the only other option is to pretend like you didn't hear what he said and to work harder at covering it up. And he's saying, please don't do that. That's what he's going to be saying throughout this whole series as we meet with him in the Gospel of Luke is please don't do that. It is going to be scary when we start talking about the how and the unpacking of what I came to do. It is really scary. But I promise you, you can put the gun down. If you will just stay with me and let me do my work. I promise you that I will lead you to life. And so as you go from here, a really practical way to, to begin to meet with the Lord in this place is, is as you go to him in, in the Gospel of Luke, as you spend time in the Gospel of Luke meeting with him, just ask him a couple questions. Say, Lord, will you show me, please show me where I'm spiritually poor and blind and imprisoned in my life. Will you give me the courage and the humility to sit and, and receive that and not try to run away from that? And then would you give me the faith to believe that you are my wealth and that you are my freedom and you are my wholeness and that you've come to meet with me to give me those things? to give me yourself. Because remember back to what he's sharing here. 
He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I was talking about the Jubilee year. Every 50 years, all debts were forgiven. All indentured servants could return home to their families. Nobody worked. And, and God, God saw it coming, the question of, well, if we don't work, how are we going to be provided for? And God said, you don't even have to ask that question because in that year, I'm going to provide everything you need in abundance. And y'all, that practice, the year of Jubilee, was, is prophecy pointing forward to what Jesus has come to do for all of eternity. I have come bringing a year of Jubilee to all of God's people. Your debt is forgiven. You are reconciled to your families. You are reconciled to God. And you don't have to worry and have this orphan mentality of where's my next meal going to come from because God loves you and he's going to provide for you. That's what I came to bring. And so if you will let me in and you will let me do my work, this is where I'm leading you. So hang in there with him this, this semester as we, as we walk through these passages because um, you will experience rage. But if you will just trust him, you will also experience freedom and wholeness and abundance. Father, we, we can never believe that on our own. That is a supernatural work. So as, as much as I, I first say thank you that this is true, that this is who you are and what you've come to do, um, I also ask, please, in your supernatural power, give us the, the faith that we need to believe that this is really who you are and really how you feel about us and really what you have set about to do so that we could be transformed by you and as we're being transformed that we would be agents of transformation in this city and, and be used by you in doing this good work in, in other people and other places. And ask that in Jesus' name, amen.